Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the JMRK podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, this is AJ from uh, Pittsburgh Hardcore, PA Hardcore, maybe. I don't know. That's awesome. Uh, growing up, like my early days of hardcore, um, like the Pittsburgh band that I was most familiar with was um, Steel Nation. Okay, yeah. Yeah, those guys, uh, they did a lot of touring and everything for a minute. They were one of the few Pittsburgh bands that uh, really went West Coast before, you know, Code Orange and Eternal Sleep, obviously. Kind of took that next step. But yeah, Steel Nation. A lot of Pittsburgh bands don't uh, leave town too often. So especially back then, uh, that was cool that you were uh, checking out Pittsburgh bands. There's a little bit of internet hype around it for like the first time ever. So you were a little ahead of the curve on that one if you were checking out Steel Nation. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, super into that band, and um, even back when they had like the original singer, and then when they switched yeah. things up, they um, came out. I think they did like the last time I saw them was um, in two thousand nine. They played L A. and like after that, I was just wondering whenever uh, or when they would come back, but um, for some reason they just haven't been able to make it back out. Yeah, I mean the uh, you know Pittsburgh, regardless of all the. Uh hipster infiltration and gentrification going on is still at the core of pretty working class city. So, uh, you know, bands at best give it a couple year run for the most part, trying to like figure out how to do a tour t- full-time touring routine while still paying the bills. But inevitably most bands fall back into that, you know, weekend warrior status just because that's, you know, that's just how it goes out here. Sometimes I, I think about it and, I have like a full-time job um, and I try to like run my website and it, it blows my mind. And I think it's awesome that, you know, people are able to be in bands and make it work. Cause for, for me, I just, um, you know, can imagine having to make certain sacrifices to make that stuff work. Yeah. And I mean, on top of that, you try to get five people on the same, you know, time frame or mindset and good luck, you know? Yeah, definitely been in a couple of like bands like um, back in the day, and that was seriously the worst. Trying to get everybody to be on the same page just to show up for band practice, let alone you know play a show or even think about a tour. Yeah, yeah. What bands were you in? It was like some old hardcore band called Final Phase, and I played in some pop punk band. It was like a four year strong ripoff. Okay. Yeah, so nothing crazy. But. So I wanted to ask you about um, Face Wreck. How did um, that band come together? Yeah, so we're actually uh, we're coming up on actually pretty much exactly a year. Uh, uh, I've done many bands in the past. I've, I've been you know pretty uh, deadly serious, in fact, uh, to the point where no one likes them because <laughs> it's inevitable. I'd almost always end up alienating my own fan base by, you know, kind of, uh, some people would view it as being called out or this or that, but, you know, I, I enjoy challenging almost, uh, you could call it, it seemed like I was always shaking off my own fan bases. So, uh, I don't know, just had a revelation a few years ago that, you know, hardcore is always going to have amazing aspects to it and it's always going to have bad aspects to it. You know, at various times over the 20 years I've been involved with, I've tried to fight the good fight or got pessimistic or one way or the other. And, you know, you eventually just have the realization that 
you know, neither side's going anywhere. So you might as well focus on the good parts and the fun parts and everything positive about it and have some fun, you know? Uh, so yeah, I don't know that is some people maybe misconstrue the band as a joke, which I actually, I resent so much when people say that to me. Uh, I always differentiate. It's a fun band, uh, which to me is night and day difference. I think people are, I think the reason people don't know how to interpret it is because it, it's, I don't know how you probably on less than, you know, five fingers count the number of like beat down or heavy hardcore bands that are having fun simultaneously because, you know, at the, the risk of sounding egotistical, I mean, we got some hard ass riffs, you know what I mean? So it's like, and we play a style of, you know, it's heavily influenced by, you know, in my opinion, the, the realist of real hardcore bands over the years. So. But at the same time, like I said, I mean, we're not posturing, you know, we got uh, got young kids in the band and some old guys too, but, uh, you know, we're not trying to posture, we don't got any image to portray, we're just playing the heavy hardcore that we grew up on and trying to have some fun with it, and uh, I don't know, it's been going over well, especially with younger kids who probably don't typically listen to this genre or subgenre of hardcore, you know? I feel like it's very interesting that you say that um, you guys are, you know, focused on having fun because, like, obviously, when I think of um, the style of, um, you know, hardcore that you guys play, it, like, fun isn't really the term that comes to mind. I, you know, picture, like, you know, people wanting to be, like, the toughest, the heaviest, like, most aggressive uh, band out there. Yeah, and, you know, this isn't disrespect because i mean literally all my favorite bands for the most part are you know in this genre but like you know there's a reason that uh historically at least in this region i don't i can't speak for the entire country or world at this point uh but in this region you know what i mean like that's why these bands play on average to 30 people you know because it's like it's a certain personality type that is okay or maybe even desires you know essentially being attacked uh just for simply being in the room trying to watch a band, you know what I mean? Uh, it's crazy how many... I mean, when we play, you're going to see... I don't want to say totally different, but like you're going to see a significantly different crowd at our shows than uh, maybe, I don't know, Enemy Mind, you know, who that's not a shot at them at all. I mean, I used to drum for those guys, you know, they're probably my favorite current beatdown band out there, but you know what I mean? It's like you're going to get probably, well, you're going to get hurt, you know, which is the, uh, the big lyric channel on for them. But yeah, you know what I mean? Just as an example, I mean, that only, that only, uh, interests a small amount of people, you know what I mean? And like props to them. I mean, I used to be one of them. I used to, I thought it was cool, like showing up to high school with a black eye from the show that weekend, or, you know what I mean? It's like, man, it's like, <laughs> getting you know bodies getting broken up over the years I don't, I don't exactly look forward to that i like going to a show and having fun at this point you know definitely feel you on that one these days i feel like i'm getting older and i'm way more cautious when i'm you know in or around the pit i definitely want to be able to make it to work the next day so i definitely don't go as hard as i used to yeah for sure how old are you uh, 30 okay yeah uh, 33 here so no, I've actually I've mastered the art of not getting hit for the most part, but uh, you know, not everyone has that skill. It's kind of like uh, some shadow ninja, you know, Ned kind of a skill set that I've developed over the years. But yeah, not everyone has that, and of course, you know, especially you know, as we all know, healthcare here situation. So it's like 
the older you get, you realize the severity of it. It's like, well, you know, I had a fun night at that show last night, but now I'm several thousand dollars in debt for this broken orbital that I got. You know what I mean? Yeah, sometimes I uh, question if it was really worth it. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and you know, like I said, we're just trying to find that balance of like, I mean, don't get me wrong, man. Like our shows are no, you know, safe space, quote unquote. I've seen some people get hurt, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, it's typically the people in the middle, you know, the people which, you know, no rules in the mosh pit. You know what I mean? It's like I'm not looking for, like, uh, recreate Woodstock or anything. Uh, I, To be honest, that's, you know, over 50 percent of the reason probably that we write these songs is because I enjoy seeing wild reactions and people, you know, being able to let off whatever steam they've built up. But, uh, yeah, you know what I mean? There's a difference between uh, the dudes. And ladies that are, you know, interested in getting in dead center and, you know, obviously, you know what you're getting yourself into. There's a difference between those people and the people who are just there because who knows, maybe they actually like this type of music, you know. Yeah, find your um, style um, interesting because um, I'm sure you've seen it since you've been around for so long. Um, trends in hardcore. So when I first got into it, the heavier stuff, the more beatdown style, that kind of hardcore was more popular in my area at the time. But sticking what time around, frame are we talking about? Like what years, roughly? Uh, like early 2000s. Yeah. Okay. And um, so um, being around for so long, I, I've been able to see, you know, the, the um, shift in uh, different styles of hardcore becoming more popular. And honestly, I feel like the heavier stuff um, these days is becoming more popular again. Um, my question is, um, when you guys started Face Rec, um, did you care that uh, um, that style was um, not the most popular thing or that it was coming back in style? Was that even an afterthought? I mean, in general, I mean, whether it's, you know, this, what, maybe depending on your definition, third wave of metalcore and everything. I mean, bands are heavier in general right now than they have been a long time, which I'm pretty excited about. You know, I came into all this through metal, um, you know, Earth Crisis being my favorite hardcore band uh, and Hatebreed being the band that I was, you know, probably my segue into all of this. Um, so, yeah, I've always had a tendency to lean towards the heavier stuff. It's not to say I don't enjoy. I mean, to be honest, I've been on some serious like melodic hardcore kick lately for some unknown reason but um yeah you know it's i'm just excited when bands are heavy in general you know what i mean it's uh you know uh no offense i guess your old band but you know the easy core stuff that people like to call it for a minute that that quick minute i really did not enjoy and you know like when every band was trying to sound like have hard i wasn't really into that vibe you know so Anytime things get heavier, I'm happy with it. Uh, Pittsburgh specifically, you basically have to be heavy or else you're going to get stared at, you know, uh, in some form or another. So um, this is what I'm used to. And I don't know, it, it's cool when, you know, I'm getting asked to do a podcast by someone I've never met in my life. You know, what I mean, historically, I'm I'm used to, you know, my friends in my city and maybe a handful of other guys from like japan or europe somewhere that maybe australia that you know spend a lot of time and do their internet research and that's i'm used to those being the only people that care about heavy hardcore so this is a nice change of pace it's been fun lately yeah i i find that um you know uh interesting because there's a, a band out here from san diego called world of pain have you ever heard of them 
Yeah, I'm friends with some of those guys, and yeah, they've been doing it for a while now. They see they're calling it quits soon. Yeah, and to me, that's kind of a bummer because I felt like through um, that style not being the most popular thing at the time, I felt like they were real and they kept true to their sound, and you know, they didn't care that um, that style wasn't the most popular thing at the time. They just kept doing their thing. So I like to think of that band, and um, you know. Th- think it's awesome that they're able to stay true to their sound and kind of keep that style alive like out here and there's like newer bands um, coming up that are starting to be more heavy out here and like less focused on you know being fast and positive um, which is pretty interesting yeah I mean uh, you know at the, the risk of sounding uh, oblivious I mean just comparatively I've never noticed as much heavy hardcore from the West Coast. I mean, obviously, I could sit here and list you a hundred bands that are some of my favorite ever. I know that they exist, but just proportionately uh, compared to out here, uh, yeah, I see a lot of that more happening on the West Coast now. So that that's cool. We actually, uh, I know we actually, you know, I kind of scoffed at it at first. We have some people offering to bring us out for a tour out there, which I was like, sure, man. Uh, let us know when you can fly us out and whatever. And they're like, uh, somewhat serious about that. So. It's it's cool uh, that that's seemingly a nationwide thing at this point. Okay, well, I wanted to save the tour talk for later, but I, I kind of wanted to go back to like my earlier question. Um, I don't think oh, we really touched on it, but when I asked you how um, Facebook formed, uh, so you, you said you were in um, a bunch of other bands before. So um, did you just uh, you know find a group of friends and be like, hey, like I want to start this new band, or um, was it like something you've been working on for a while, or how did it actually come together? Yeah, kind of yes and no. I mean, like I said, I did such a so many serious bands that I always kind of wanted to do something more fun, uh, actually. Ironically, wrote this band, wrote the dem- the first demo for a friend of mine to be the vocalist because that's been I don't want to say his dream, but something he's brought up several times in the past that he's wanted to do, and I think he would be and still would be a great frontman. But uh, for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Uh, I was planning on playing bass or drums or whatever needed done. Uh, those are the two instruments I'm probably competent enough to do, but. Uh, yeah, it didn't happen, and uh, at that point, I had already recorded the demo, and you know, didn't feel like throwing it away. So uh, I was like, you know what? I guess I'm stuck being a frontman, which every time I try not to be, I end up being uh, for better or worse. But uh, yeah, here we are. So that was that was really it. And you know, Pittsburgh hardcore was it's I mean, it's always gone in ebb and flow. I mean, dude, our uh, our population numbers are so low. I don't know what they are. I just like Pittsburgh is a small city. I think people assume it's the same size as Philadelphia or maybe even Chicago or Cleveland or something just because of our sports teams or, you know, we've been getting a lot of press lately. But Pittsburgh is a small city. And in turn, I mean, I bet you, unfortunately, that, you know, if you compare how many kids go to a DIY hardcore show to the total population, it's probably the same as other cities proportionately. But like, I mean, we're talking like under 100 people at most shows um, on, you know, a good day. So uh, I just wanted to try to swing that direction. And, you know, there definitely some great strides, like I said earlier, were being made by like Code Orange and Eternal Sleep. And, you know, there's always been a great local like kind of beat down scene happening here. Um, and, yeah, I just felt momentum going the right way. Wanted to kind of like put the icing on that cake and uh, throw my full weight behind everything. 
So I, unfortunately, I got involved in the like the actual professional concert industry for probably about a decade, and that you know got to the point where it was taking up my entire life. Uh, I quit for some personal reasons, but uh, after I did, I had some time, and I was like, you know what? Let's uh, let's give this another run. What were you doing in the professional concert industry, if you don't mind me asking? No, I just I started off doing stagehand stuff just because it was like a good way to, you know, put off getting a real job, you know, and that just kind of take, keep uh, taking steps up that ladder. I was doing uh, some production management, uh, you know, for pretty uh, respected local promoters. You know, we did stuff everywhere from, you know, we still did our like 150 cap rooms, but, you know, I did everything. I worked up to there's like the local hockey arena we were doing events at, you know, from time to time. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyone that wanted to pay me to do stuff that historically I would do for free at, you know, hardcore shows. So it's like, oh, wait, people get paid to do this stuff? People make a career out of this? Yeah, let's give it a run. But it did. It, uh, you know, you can guarantee you're working every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, actually probably six days a week. Uh, so, you know, getting to shows and definitely wasn't time to focus on any bands. It got to the point that, my band was doing one or two shows a year on average. So uh, it feels good to uh, get back in that swing of it, be on the ground level, get in with, you know, a lot of these younger bands who, like I said, are doing uh, cooler stuff than I felt like has been happening for at least probably 10 or 15 years. So pretty stoked on everything right now. And um, you're speaking about younger bands. Are you speaking specifically in your area or um, just hardcore in general? Yeah, pretty much all across the spectrum, I'd say. Uh, like I said, I'm very partial to the heavy stuff, which, I mean, Pure Noise was like primarily a pop punk label, what, two or three years ago even? You know yeah. what I mean? So, I mean, essentially, almost everything happening on that I'm liking right now. Uh, you know, I could sit here and rattle off all my friends' bands, but then I'm going to forget half of them and, you know, seem like a bad friend. But, I mean, if, you're, if people are listening to this, I'm sure they know who I'm referencing. And, you know, I mean, just look at any... Uh, any DIY tour package floating around or, you know, smaller tour package floating around. It's like, it's cool. I, I like the, uh, like the energy and the momentum. I mean, there for a minute, uh, you know, everyone had their like management and booking agents, which I know some people still have, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it, you know, it got to that level there for a minute where everyone, uh, they were all the bands that were claiming hardcore and metalcore, not all, but you know what I mean? Uh, more than should be were like kids that like saw I don't know it dies today on Ozfest and that was like their main influence what they wanted to be that's not on this on it dies today it's one of my favorite bands but you know what I'm talking about I feel like now is the first time where there's a return to where band kids grew up on seeing terror and fire halls and you know what I mean that kind of vibe I think it's um, awesome that you bring up It Dies Today. I am so bummed that I never got to see that band because I, I swear oh. like their Forever Scorned EP is like one of the heaviest things to ever come out. Yeah, it's literally perfect metalcore, you know what I mean? Used to book those guys in a three-car garage back then. Followed them the whole way up. Those guys were killing it, doing like Ozfest. And uh, yeah, I actually got to book some of the quick reunion shit that they did there for a minute. So it's cool to see that. How uh, three car garage? That sounds pretty big. Uh, yeah, not really. It's like a. It was a venue I did when I was like fifteen. It's called Planet of the Apes, which actually gets a little shout out in the Face Wreck Gorilla Warfare video. I don't think most people know what that reference is, but uh, yeah, we did a venue. We you know before we had our licenses, you know, we could 
calling our parents and driving us to the city maybe once or a week or something at most, but we decided we wanted to bring the shows out to us. We did it. Got away with it for like nine months. We had no running water or we actually stole the electricity off of the Chinese restaurant in front of us and, you know, the whole nine yards. So we lasted nine months before we got shut down. But, you know, we had like bleeding through. It does today. Uh, Under oath, My Chemical Romance, you know, some names you might know. That's, I think that sounds pretty like wild. Um, wh- so this three car garage, like it was just attached. It's like some random building, or was it somebody's house? It was a separate entity, actually. Yeah, we just some like eighty five year old woman owned it. She was like very senile, I believe. We told her we wanted a practice space, which was half true. But uh, yeah, within a few weeks, it was a concert venue. And yeah, like I said. I was mad at the time when we got shut down, but when I look back at it now, after knowing everything I know about, you know, safety and uh, occupancy and, you know, fire hazards and whatever, codes, building codes, uh, I can't even be mad at the people who shut us down, you know. But uh, that was cool while it lasted, and, you know, a lot of those bands still talk about that fondly to this day, so it's actually, you know, I'm trying to recreate somewhat of that spirit on a more legal and realistic and logistical level with uh this new venture i'm doing opened a record store and museum and venue all in one it's uh trying to rekindle a bit of that spirit did the chinese restaurant ever notice that you guys were stealing their power no they never did and then on the final show my band had broke down on our way home from our final day of tour I got home at like 8 a.m. the day of this show. I was bleeding through Under Oath, uh, Casper Meaden, and actually a local band's great that would kids would jock if they knew about now with Death Ball's Daybreak. Um, they were actually like recording same studio, same time frame as like a mirror and doing that kind of stuff. Uh, but anyhow, uh, oh yeah, so... I, you know, took a couple hours nap before the show. I get I get there at like noon and there's no power. Apparently while we were gone on tour, uh, you know, some storm took out all the power or whatever. And, you know, it's, there's a show. I mean, you know, those bands were obviously small enough to still be playing three-car garages. But at the time for us, that was like the biggest show we were going to have. There ended up being like 250 kids there. It was asinine. But, uh, you know, our only resort was go and ask this Chinese restaurant to if we can run like 10 extension cables from their, uh, their restaurant, which they were, of course, you know, not down with and telling us I had to pay them all this money to the point where I just freaked out. Yeah, I kind of felt like this was going to end up being the last show anyhow because like everything was collapsing in on itself. And I was just like, we've been stealing your power for nine months now. Like, just shut up and let us do it. <laughs> and they just, you know, kind of looked at me very confused and let us. So, uh, I don't know. It worked. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the end, they're like, all right, just steal it for one more night and we'll let it go. Yeah. At the end of the night, the, uh, you know, our show ended at nine and they closed at nine, but the bands needed to like get out of there. And, uh, I kept sending, I just kept grabbing random people and putting like three bucks in their hand and tell them to go like buy an egg roll and sit there and not let them close. <laughs> and, uh, the bands loaded all their gear out with, us having uh, cars with their headlights facing the venue, you know, we just opened up all the doors and yeah, it was a bit vague because they, the second uh, the band were done, they unplugged these cables and just told us to fuck off. And that was that. That was the final show. 
Damn, that's awesome. I definitely. I'm, wait, go ahead. No, it's, a, it's a good punk rock story. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you know if there's um any uh like footage from those shows? Uh, there's a couple shows. I I have a YouTube channel. It's uh, everything I do is under the banner preserving hardcore now, okay. and there's a YouTube channel, and I have I have a few shows up from there. But you know, back then, you know, obviously this, we're talking like 2002 or yeah, 2003 to 2004. We ran it from. And, you know, it was a big deal to have a video camera at the time still, so people weren't having iPhones in their pockets. So there's a few shows, a couple pictures, but lost to the uh, the memories of those who were there. And that's pretty much it. It's crazy. Sometimes I, I think back and um, try to remember some of, like, the crazy shows that I went to um, early on um, in my hardcore career or whatever. And it trips me out that there's, like, literally, like, no footage, no documentation of, like, you know, like, a lot of the things that I've, I, like, have experienced. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, and, you know, think about the people who were going to shows in the 80s. I mean, what percentage of those shows got filmed? One, you know? Um, so yeah, it's actually kind of the, uh, the basis of, you know, I started realizing as you get older, you know, the stuff that, yeah, I don't know, Pittsburgh, most people from here are pretty humble. I think we typically don't view a lot of what we do as like super important or, uh, you know, needed to be uh, archived or anything. But when you look back, you think of it a little bit differently and you're like, ah, oh, man, I mean, maybe some of this stuff was worth putting some time into so kind of trying to retroactively and not just for pittsburgh obviously but like in general trying to go back and kind of retroactively preserve a lot of stuff that you know it's out there but it's in some guy's bedroom closet or it's in someone's attic or whatever and you you know you got to put the the initiative into going and you know digging it out it's like a hardcore archaeologist you know so I wanted to go into now your new venture, um, the record store venue slash museum. Is there a name for this spot? Yeah, so uh, I actually kind of pigeonholed myself. But so I started with a uh, – I've been doing like a distro shows for a long time. Uh, over the past few years, I've been uploading. I used to do a blog and, you know, before all the uh, blog circuit of like free MP3 downloading got shut down. And uh, build up a YouTube channel that's got kind of over, I think there's over a thousand videos now. Um, but yeah, it did uh, preserving hardcore is what I've been calling it. Uh, so that is now opening this record store because I've outgrown my basement. Uh, that was kind of the catalyst for this, and just wanting to, like I said, Pittsburgh is on this upswing right now. I kind of want to solidify that and kind of give some validity to it, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's all preserving hardcore. It's kind of the name of all of it, which. Like I said, I kind of painted myself into a corner because the record store actually has a lot more than hardcore, but that's a battle I'll have to fight down the road. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a record store. It is a probably I don't know. We've actually I just last Saturday was my first day, so uh, we're still figuring things out. I'm guessing it's going to be about a hundred person capacity. We have our first show coming up in a I believe like two weeks here, uh, and there is a hardcore museum which. I'm fairly certain is the first of its kind. Uh, but then again, I never thought there was another band called Face Wreck, and there ended up being one from Belgium. So I could be wrong. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, what do you need to know about it? 
okay there's a lot to dissect there so you um mentioned um you kind of outgrew your basement were you selling records out of your basement or did you have like a discogs or how did that um or how was that going down yeah i've been doing distro shows for a while and uh started taking it more seriously when i had the time uh as like i said a year or two ago i quit that uh whole concert industry lifestyle but uh yeah i started taking it pretty seriously built up a web store really started making a point to like start traveling again with it and uh before i knew it i uh had too much shit for the space that i designated for it so uh yeah i mean it's been going really well i mean to be honest it's my full-time i hate to call it a job because it's fun uh and honestly the second it feels like a job i'm probably gonna stop but uh yeah just decided to take that next step and you know, form the LLC and do all the paperwork and get all the insurance and get a brick and mortar building and all of the stuff that is just probably going to be more than I can handle, but not going to know until you try it. So that's what we're doing right now. And was um, it always the goal to try to get a brick and mortar or was there any thought to just try to keep it strictly online and you just traveling? No, I mean, to be honest, it, I it popped in my head in the middle of January when I was kind of going through my annual seasonal depression uh, and which you might not know about if you live in California but it gets pretty miserable out here and I uh, just felt in the mood to do something big or at least bigger than what I have been doing and uh, I would say from the time I started I started looking for buildings around my area and within a few weeks found one signed the paperwork a few weeks after that and started moving in and I mean I kind of inadvertently without even recognizing it until I was in the middle of it opened three businesses at once uh it was totally in over my head but uh record store day uh was April 13th a couple days ago from when we're doing this interview here and set my sights to that decided that's when it needed to be and uh yeah so it was a pretty quick process Definitely wasn't something I planned on doing ever, let alone even six months ago. How was um, your first day um, being open? Uh, pretty insane, actually. I had set a goal for myself that I thought I'd maybe reach if I was, you know, playing my cards right, and we actually tripled it. So uh, it was really cool. The local paper did a thing on it, put me on the front page, including uh, the city paper. We're, at, we're a little bit north of it. We're like 20 minutes out of the city, so it's kind of actually pretty rare for them to cover stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it was probably like half my friends and people that I haven't seen in a long time that used to go to shows and stuff kind of brought people out of the woodworks. But it was also half just like people from the area that, you know, I live in the uh, this city that's right outside of Pittsburgh that is, you know, in the very early formations of getting itself back on its feet. So uh, it felt good to feel like... Uh, actually contributing something in, as opposed to what's happening in Pittsburgh right now, which is just, you know, uh, overpriced coffee shops and, um, you know, specialty clothing boutiques that no one in the neighborhood can actually afford. So when you got the building, um, obviously the spark to this was the, uh, you know, you outgrowing your basement. Did the, um, museum and venue was that, um, all at the same time or did that just kind of happen as you found the building yeah i uh 
you know, the reality is the only part that's really being monetized is the, the record store part of it. I'm not charging to get in the museum. Donations are appreciated, of course. But, uh, and, you know, the the venue being as small as it is, I mean, more. I've already booked a bunch of shows here, and, like, I'm just telling bands they can have 100% of the door kind of thing. You know what I mean? So it's like... It, the allure is to hopefully bring people out because, like I said, I'm a little bit out of the city, and unfortunately, you know, it's hard enough to compete with kids being able to order stuff online, let alone getting them to drive outside of the city to do it. So, uh, you know, I kind of knew that opening a, I think any three in itself would would have been a bad idea to do in 2019, and I mean, maybe in a year from now, I'll find out that it was even was still a bad idea doing all three together, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think the museum in itself obviously probably would not prosper. Uh, a venue in itself is impossible to make money off of if you refuse to sell alcohol. Um, and, you know, a record store, obviously we all know about how physical media is going. But I'm hoping the combination of the three makes it kind of like a, maybe hopefully like a, I don't know, maybe cultural is a dramatic word, but kind of like a cultural center where people actually want to come to. It's not some space that, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but, you know, venues that you're like, ah, oh, man, I want to see my friend's band, but like, ah, I really don't want to go to this place. I hate it. You know what I mean? I want it to be a place people want to come to. I want it to be a place that like touring bands can stop through and like feel like they're doing something other than just driving and like going to Walmart and killing time or whatever it is they have to do. Stopping at sheets probably, although I probably can't compete with that. But, uh, you know what I mean? I, I want to make it a place where people, I mean, it's already happening. I've been open for three days now, and uh, there's a guy that came in and said he hasn't felt inspired to go to hardcore shows in 10 years, and here he is, you know, he's rebuying his collection. There's a guy that regretted selling his collection. He's coming in, you know, the whole nine yards, and uh, people have been meeting each other. I mean, they introduced the 17-year-old kid to like a 37-year-old dude the other day. Uh, father and there on opening day, I could at least ten father and son or mother and son and daughter, you know, all whatever combination you can think of were coming in. So uh, I'm hoping it's a place that uh, you know people can uh, unify. I guess a little one scene unity going on out here. I think that's awesome. I, I'm I'm just curious about the layout. Um, d- does each separate and entity have like its own space or are, are like the venue? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, the uh they're all in like I mean it's one building, but they're actually all totally separate uh rooms. Uh so much so that like you can actually be in the museum and you know be having conversations with people while bands are playing in the other room and you know what I mean? You can It has a it has a very unique vibe to it. It's also underground uh which, you know, hardcore belongs in both you know theoretically and i guess logistically you know it's a good way to not get noise complaints but um yeah i don't know it's uh like i said i think that it's gonna be like a hundred cap venue and the venues or the the museum is i don't i don't want to talk it up too much and then someone shows up and gets disappointed but like it's not something that you can go stroll through in five minutes and be done with it uh pretty elaborate and to be honest if someone really wants to take it all in they can spend a day there put a lot of time i did a lot of uh writings created a lot of uh art for it on top of you know being a whole 
collection of you know me showing off the crap that I've accumulated over the years and uh, doesn't really do me much good you know under my bed in a bin or in my basement even when it is on display because how many people come over you know but uh, yeah I don't know people have been enjoying it you know some dude through shopping and didn't even know the museum was there and I knew the dude he was in one of the original Pittsburgh hardcore bands back in the early 80s it's like hey man uh, if you're interested I got a some of your old stuff on display in the back room, you know, kind of made his day and I don't know, just trying to, uh, do something unique. So in the museum, um, I just imagine like, um, like, you know, old show flyers and, uh, merch, like what items do you have on d- display in the museum? Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I, I'm, I'm pretty self-aware. I know that in the grants or the overall story of hardcore that Pittsburgh isn't exactly relevant. Uh, it's a very cult following kind of niche thing. So, but of course that's most of my favorite stuff. So Pittsburgh has its own room. It's kind of like, uh, museums where you have the rotating exhibits kind of thing that come and go. So that's kind of got its own entity. It's not really in the, but there is like kind of like a, and it's self-guided, uh, it takes you chronologically through the timeline of hardcore start. I mean, 40 years of it now. Uh, I, you know, as thorough as I could be, um, you know, while still making it simultaneously interesting to people that don't know anything about it, because that's actually, you know, my very optimistic wishful thinking. I am hoping that maybe some kids in the town, in the city that we're in, which is, you know, I don't want to, it's not a bad city or anything but it's currently in like a not a depressed state maybe kind of vacant state Uh, i'm hoping maybe people that have nothing better to do uh want to come in and hopefully it's simultaneously interesting to them who can learn things like oh some 101 like oh started with bad brains moved on to black flag and blah 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 here we are now with you know terror and code orange and everything else going on um i want to make it interesting to them i also want to make it interesting to like I said, the guys that were around 20 years before me, um, seeing things that maybe they've never seen, uh, people have been, I'm not like a huge shirt collector or anything like that, but just stuff that I've naturally acquired over going to shows for years, uh, especially for the local stuff, you know, there are people that were like very interested in seeing those kind of things. So you know, I don't want it to just be like a merch show off thing. Like I said, I spent a lot of time, uh, writing historical timeline kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I actually just, for whatever reason, kind of through doing my research found that it seemed like roughly every five years, hardcore kind of took a pretty drastic turn in one direction or another. So station on kind of every five years loosely, uh, on, you know, what was going on at the time. And, yeah, I don't know. It, I, I feel like it, it's very capable of being self-guided. It's open anytime that the store is open or there's shows going on. Uh, I actually got a lot of requests for people, for me to do guided tours of it, uh, which I certainly don't want to come off as some authority on everything because, like I said, I wasn't even around for half of this. I started going to shows in 99, which, you know, that's actually pretty much exactly half of, you know, arguably when hardcore started. So, uh, but, you know, I think I'm capable of at least giving the 101 and uh, at least being able to point out like, oh, this is why this is being displayed. This is why this is relevant and, you know, so on and so forth. So 
that's kind of where we're at with the museum. But like I said, it's it's more than just shirts and flyers and stuff. Uh, I guess you kind of got to come and see it and experience it. There's some selfie opportunities too for the young kids, you know. <laughs> um, are are you like accepting the donations, for, like for the yeah, museum? I mean, people want to like give you stuff, like you know, that's a part of history. That would be the coolest thing possible. And to be honest, it's the real quick story. I mean, five minutes after I opened on grand opening day, uh, the the singer of my one of my favorite bands ever, but a local band called Build Upon Frustration, uh, which has you know ascended to internet fame recently in the past few years. But uh, haven't seen that dude in 15 years. He's probably one of my biggest like vocal influences. Well, not in Face Rec, but my you know other vocals and my other bands I've done. Uh, shows up five minutes after I open and hands me this hockey jersey that he made with Build Upon Frustration hockey jersey. He made for himself 25 years ago. It's got his blood all over it, the whole nine yards. And it's like, dude, I would have given you like hundreds of dollars for this, to be honest. And he's like, nah, man, I want this for the museum. So, I mean, that right there, five minutes into being open, kind of validated all this effort I've been putting in over the past few months. And to be honest, all the debt that I put myself in as well. So I'm hoping once people see that it's a, it's a real thing, it's a legit thing. This isn't some like fly by night operation. Uh, A lot of money and time has been, put into it uh hoping people realize that like yo this is like it's worth putting on display it's worth sharing with people because you know real quick backtrack here the whole reason i started my youtube channel which really is like kind of the base of what this all blossomed into is like realizing that like i had hundreds like i said close to a thousand of my own show videos that were sitting in my basement and it's like you know, the unfortunate reality is, is, you know, everyone's at the age now where, like, no one's coming over to my house on a Wednesday night to, like, watch, uh, you know, Redline play at, like, some venue to 25 people, but, you know, whatever I got on VHS. So I wanted to digitize everything, A, also so I could throw all those cassettes away because they took up so much space and they're starting to get, like, moldy in the whole nine yards. VHS tapes are disgusting, by the way. But, uh, yeah, you know what I mean? I just wanted to... uh share that with everyone and like the, the amount of appreciation that was shown. I mean, I have a, over a million views between all of them combined at this point all around the world. And to be honest, I've never really promoted any of it. I've never once paid to promote it or outside of kind of just telling my friends about it. And I've not promoted it. You know what I mean? So, uh, it's, it's cool. It makes you realize there's no reason in like hoarding everything. Uh, cause I, totally ironically, right before I closed it, I had a kid come in. He, was into like garage rock whatever kind of stuff which was cool i really respected this kid's dedication he knew everything about what he was talking about but he was like very hung up on like not telling people i guess he's like a radio dj and i guess it's kind of a tradition in that world to like not tell people what you're even playing and it's like this big mystery that doesn't make sense to me i like sharing information and like telling everyone about like my favorite stuff and what they i think they should check out so, uh, yeah, that's really the basis of it. And I'm hoping other people feel the same way if they do and they want it to go to a good home. I mean, I'm going to protect it. That's what I do. I archive shit. Uh, anyone who's ever seen my collection, you kind of know how I do things. Everything is like pristine, bagged up, made sure that it's safe, you know, the whole nine yards. So I've been telling people to either put it on loan, have it back whenever you want it, or I'll buy it from you. Or if you're really nice, you can donate it, whatever. I'll trade you something. The options are open, and to be honest, that'll probably 
be my validation because I doubt it's going to happen monetarily, you know? Yeah, um, I'm hoping that um, the word starts to spread and um, people actually start, you know, taking interest in this because I, I think it's really awesome what you're doing since it's like not a common thing. Like I, I literally don't think anybody's ever um, tried to do a hardcore museum. So the the, the fact that you're, um, you know, taking the step to being the first to do this, I, I think it's really awesome, and I hope people you know, are willing to, you know, help out the cause because um, I love hardcore and it's been a big part of my life. So um, being able um, or having the option to be able to go somewhere where I can kind of look back at, you know, specific time periods, I think would be like a really cool thing. Yeah. And, you know, I never was a know-it-all at all. To be honest, I like would kind of like somewhat uh, brazenly kind of acknowledge the fact that I was relatively not totally, but somewhat uninterested in 80s hardcore and, you know, a lot of the things that were happening, you know, like, you know, an unpopular opinion, but like, hey, I'm still, after all this stuff, I still, the bad brains has not fully clicked in my head yet, you know what I mean? Fully respect everything, especially after doing all this research and seeing how uh, unanimous uh, the respect is for those guys. So it's like, that is certainly there for me, but purely on a musical level, it's like, still hasn't quite clicked. Um, you know, it's like I said, I came in through metal, that kind of thing. But um, that being said, um, the whole thing has actually given me a whole new appreciation for everything, the whole process. I mean, I spent, you know, I, I knew a lot, but I learned so much more in these past few months that, you know, never feeling like I was a know-it-all or promoting myself as one. But still, you know, you know the basic story, but there's so, you know, what the devil's in the details kind of thing, you know, so much stuff that makes you realize and you know that combined with getting older and realizing how drastic of an impact that it does have in your life or hardcore has had on your life it makes you really feel motivated to like really put that out there and you know i kind of jokingly said when i first started it's like man does this even need to be called a museum that just sounds very dramatic but um you know it's been pointed out to me but this is a genuine museum i mean it's so different than the rock and roll hall of fame other than you know what i mean it's like obviously much lower budget and smaller room you know uh but on this you know at the root of it it's that's what it is it's preserving and archiving and telling the story and making something that has been culturally relevant uh hopefully more accessible to people so someone actually pointed out that it's actually a process you can go through to become like the national uh so-and-so museum that is somewhat unofficial you know but it's something you can do and i was like Maybe that needs to be my goal. Maybe I need to be the national hardcore music. I, would, I think that would be awesome. I'm ha having that title, <laughs> um, you know, uh, become like a landmark, have people like, you know, have it be like a destination for um, not only hardcore kids, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you know, there's this, the, uh, I always made the joke. It's like, well, what am I going to do with my collection when I die? It's like, well, hopefully the, you know, the library of Congress calls me one day and just really needs this collection of, you know, like mediocre beat down hardcore from the, you know, early nineties to modern day times, you know, but, uh, yeah, when you think about it, I mean, there's this, it, the, so the national aviary is in Pittsburgh, which if you go to this place, it's really not that impressive. Um, but guess what? They were the first people, I guess, that applied to be the National Aviary. So there you are. So uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll do that as a, a joke on ourselves from the National Hardcore Museum. 
think that'd be cool. You guys should definitely, um, well, wait, uh, do you have like a team behind you or, or is this just you doing everything by yourself? I mean, my wife is helping beyond imagination, but, uh, otherwise it's pretty much me, you know, I don't want to like, act, I mean, there've certainly been plenty of friends that have helped, um, you know, a day here or there, which I'm not discrediting at all. I straight up wouldn't have been able to do it without that. But, uh, yeah, it's me. It's, uh, it's been a struggle. I mean, it's been 12 hour days for the past two months, you know, my life has been put on pause and, uh, but we're open now. I think, uh, ironically now that it's open and I'm the only employee essentially, um, other than face rec has show I, I have a friend that's going to sit there for a day here or there. Um, yeah, it's a one man show. Uh, like I said, my wife is done more than she probably should. She's actually co-owner of the business though. So maybe she should be doing some work, but Man, that's, that's awesome. I, uh, definitely can't imagine how much work you know you're putting in you know since you're doing most of it by yourself 12 hour days that's pretty rough yeah like i said ironically now that we're open i'm actually i have more time i kind of have a life again so that's nice so outside of the shop uh, venue museum and your band like what is there or what do you do like in pittsburgh so like i said i i worked in the content concert industry for so long it unfortunately took a lot of time away from my friends and family and everything so i spent the last few years like making a point to focus on all that um that's been cool i mean i was filling in for bands for the most part while i did that uh job because in the concert industry, you have like January and February are typically pretty dead. That's kind of like your summer break, but it's in January and February and you live in Pittsburgh, so it's pointless. Um, so, you know, I did a lot of filling in. I uh, did First Blood for a while. Uh, like I did Enemy Mine for a minute. Uh, but but it's, been, it's been fulfilling to start my own projects again. I also drum for Two Pewter Die, which is an old straight edge band I used to do that we got back together, all the original members that, and they're based in Iowa. I drive 13 hours each way for practice or a show or whatever it may be. Um, and that is just not something I would have been able to do while working in that concert industry. And Face Rec, I mean, that just wouldn't have been a thing either. Like I said, we're pretty much bound to the weekends although we are doing a quick midwest summer tour which will be getting announced here in the next week or two um but yeah it's been nice to be able to focus back on my art uh well art you know broad usage of the term but uh yeah you know what i mean that it's it's been nice to just be able to do historically what i've enjoyed my whole life uh luckily i built up a nice little nest egg from working 70 hours a week for however many years i did that shit uh and you know the uh well, up until now that I created all this overhead for myself by opening a brick and mortar location, but you know, been making a full time living off of the uh, doing the distro and the label and everything. So, uh, I don't know. They say, do what you love and the money will come, and it's been going that way so far. But these bills are piling up now, so we'll see if that continues. Just uh, curious about um, you mentioned TP or uh, to die. You drove 13 hours sometimes just for band practice yeah when we were uh knocking the dust off and you know writing the new songs and relearning all the old ones 
yeah, there wasn't much glory in it. We, you know, driving 13 hours each way. I'm afraid of flying. And even if I wasn't, uh, you know, there's no way to like get your drums on the plane really monetarily. So, uh, yeah, 13 hour drives each way, which is hilarious because when someone else tells me that they like drive two hours for practice for a band or some shit, I'm like, you're insane. Why do you do that? And then I remember I do 13 hours each way, but, uh, you know, now we're in the state now and we released the new EP last year. Uh, you know, we do, they're all one-off shows. Everyone has, a lot of them own their own businesses or have their full-time jobs and families. So uh, we mostly just do, you know, fly in one-offs Well, I'm usually driving, but uh, yeah, it's not, I just, I mean, to be honest, it's one of the few times I get to focus and just put on my iPod and just drive 13 hours and listen to music and I usually stop in Chicago and record shop on the way and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's actually kind of nice. I don't mind it, but yeah, that's been, uh, it's been fun to get back to doing stuff that you're actually creating instead of just filling in for bands and playing other people's songs, which, you know, first blood took me all around the world, you know, Japan, China, Mexico, Australia, the U S multiple times. So no complaints in that sense, but, um, you know, it's always going to be different playing other people's music compared to, uh, creating your own. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, I was going to ask you, you said um, you're about to announce a Midwest tour. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's like, I think it's eight or 10 shows somewhere in there. And to be honest, like it was surprisingly on the table. We actually probably could have done a full U.S. tour. All I really did was send a tweet out that said, yo, base rec tour, something, something. And uh, actually had enough interest to do a full U.S. tour, um, which we didn't do because at the time I didn't know I was doing the record store. This is only, like I said, a few months ago. Um, but basically only three of the members can even do eight or ten days or whatever we're doing. And I think if I would have done a full month U.S. tour, it probably would have just been me. Um, but kind of lucked out because now i got this store and I don't know what the hell I'm going to do when we're on tour. So, uh I just gotta have to close for a week or whatever, but um, so yeah, trying to hit the Midwest. We we very purposely are trying to hit places that are too far away for us to hit on a weekend. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We're hitting. Uh, I believe it's gonna be uh, just real quick. I actually kind of got it memorized. We're doing Louisville or Louisville, uh, Memphis, Dallas, Tulsa, Kansas City. Des Moines, I believe, and then I think we have, there's a, basically that one day I'm trying to figure out, which is why it's not announced, somewhere between Des Moines and Gary, Indiana, and then um, Detroit for Motor City Fest, and then we're home. So it's a pretty short run, but uh, after doing several month and two month long tours and whatever, I'm to the point where I'm good with a week. So I'll be anxious to get home and uh, see my dogs and wife and run the store. That's awesome that you're doing that Midwest tour. I was actually um, gonna bring up that tweet that you put out about um, a U.S. tour in July of 2019. So I'm actually kind of sad now knowing that you guys aren't coming out to the West Coast. Yeah, uh, certainly in my mind for the future, surprisingly there's enough interest. I mean, my outlook is we'll go where people want us. You know, I'm not trying to this isn't like uh, manifest destiny i don't need the whole world to like this band i'm not like trying to make people like face wreck if it happens it's cool 
I'd rather just wait until there's demand in a city and then come out and play a cool show. I'm not trying to like spread the word so much as I am just go out and have fun, you know? Uh, you know, I, I think that's the Pittsburgh mentality in general. We're not really trying to shove our music down everyone's throats, you know? If people like it, that's cool. And if we can get organized enough, we'll come out and play for you, you know, for gas money. But uh, if not, it's all good. You know, we'll keep playing here and play to the same hundred people, whatever, you know? Wanted to ask you about... Um... FYA, you guys um, played during the main fest um, and the after show. I just wanted to know how did you guys um, organize and decide um, to play the couple songs you guys did um, during the actual main fest? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, first off, Bob was, you know, the first guy to, I mean, we he played out of town before and everything, but he's the first guy with like an actual noteworthy fest that really, I don't want to say took a gamble, but, you know, really put his weight behind us and put us on you know uh you know doing a one-off show like i said i mean most of the band had to fly down both ways to be able to you know do work on friday and monday again uh so you know it was it was a struggle to get down there we made it happen uh we were only supposed to do the after show which some people were like dude you're seriously i mean i had to drive all the gear and merch and everything down there uh you know so i put in I think somewhere around 40 hours on the road overall, you know, but, uh, people like you're doing that for an after show and a club, you know, I think it maybe was two or 300 cap. I don't know what it was, but, um, you know, it's like, yeah, I, we're hardcore. Fuck it. You know what I mean? We appreciated that Bob was, you know, throwing us a bone. Uh, we, uh, that's all we were planning on doing actually at the fest. I believe he, you know, suggested oh why don't you jump up and do a song or two which you know i was actually super hesitant on i was like well you know not to underestimate our fan base down there but i i was convinced that people only wanted to hear uh fya intro and guerrilla warfare you know so i was like well if we if we do that then everyone's like cool i don't need to go to the after show now you know what i mean so uh I was hesitant on it. He insisted we do it. I trusted him. Uh, Sanction was cool enough to just let us use literally everything, including, like, breakable shit like cymbals and guitar heads. Because uh, that was my whole thing. I was like, listen, we'll do it if we pull it off, like, real deal, like, split set pro shit. You know what I mean? Like, you know, not giving people the opportunity to run out the door and, you know, miss it. So yeah, we did it. Uh, in my opinion, it was massively successful. You know, it's like half of the times kids come up to us and say how they heard about us. It was from the stupid video, you know. But uh, yeah, once again, just had fun with it. People seemed to enjoy it. And then actually the after show, even then, as good as, good as it went, I was still then convinced. It's like, cool, well, everyone had fun for this, but now no one's coming to the after show. But then the after show ended up selling out. We got asked to, we got bumped to headlining it. Uh, so yeah, I'd say it was, Bob was right. <laughs> so it definitely was a good move to play those two songs during the fest. Yeah, for sure. And I think those, there's actually two videos because Cameron uh, actually did the awesome like 360 angle and the multicam, put them both online for us like within a couple days and I think those things have more views than our actual like music video and shit. So it was definitely uh, very beneficial to the band. 
Yeah, I, I remember um, it blowing up on Twitter. I, I was just seeing like a bunch of different accounts tweeting about how you guys um, just like, you know, jumped up and played. And I, I thought that was pretty awesome to see like such a cool reaction from, you know, so many, uh, you know, people at the fest. Yeah, it was definitely uh, overwhelming, very surprising. Because, I mean, that, I mean, that has a very high potential of falling on its face. You know what I mean? Like, it's a very unplanned and a very, I guess, risky move, but uh, it panned out. It's cool. It's fun. Yeah, and the look like you know everybody was you know down, um, you know, sang along and you know moshed. Yeah, definitely moshed. Wanted to ask you about your um, Twitter account. Who runs that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we should go into that. I don't. I think maybe the mystery is some people like. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know. It's been okay. pretty uh, blunt with everything so far, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I did. I did have a few kids. Well, actually, no. Literally, just one, and he got zero likes on this fucking tweet. But uh, some kids said like, "Oh, they weren't as ignorant live as they are on Twitter." It's like, yeah, I don't. I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, like I said, you got zero likes on your post, so. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a. Actually, no, I think we liked it. Okay, but. so just to um, maybe validate his stupid tweet. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think maybe that is what leads some people to believe that the band's a joke, and that's fine. I mean, what what do they say? Art is however you want to interpret it. So uh, yeah, I think maybe we're gonna go no comment on this one. Okay. Well, I I just wanted to mention that I, um, you know, looking you know through the feed, I, I find it a very interesting style of tweeting. Um, so I um, you know just had to ask, but um, we we can leave it at that. Um, but there was one. Uh, well, it's like the the most recent tweet. I just wanted to ask you about. Um, uh, you guys are anti stage dive. Yeah. Yeah. We're uh. You know. Everyone's weighing in on the whole uh, horseshoe pro or con, you know, of the horseshoe. Here's here's the argument for the horseshoe. First off, equal opportunity to get up and get the mic, number one. Secondly, I like seeing the pit. When I'm on the floor, I don't want ten rows of people blocking my view of the pit. Thirdly, I don't like stage diving. I don't like having my neck, you know, fucked up i don't like seeing kids almost break their necks even though it's usually their fucking fault um literally we just uh last week uh we played the knock loose acacia strain harm's way sanction higher power tour and harm's way had to stop playing for like 15 minutes because we sincerely thought a kid was dead he just straight up turned his back to the crowd and like jumped backwards into a concrete pad uh ambulance had to come the whole nine yards uh shit sucks uh you know i think it's as ignorant as crowd killing which for the record we also hate and want nothing to do with it's the literal death of hardcore um but yeah i mean dude getting socked in your face when you're five rows behind is the same as getting your head jumped on from five rows behind and sorry if it's like uh pacifist or you know whatever like a weak opinion but like shit sucks i know it's a tradition but like you know there's a difference between 
people were just getting so excited that they accidentally crawled up on stage and then they had to get off somehow and they jumped right back and, you know, that kind of thing. And people caught them and it was all whatever. There's such a difference between that and some guy just looking to, like, make sure he's, like, featured on the Hate Five Six video, uh, you know, showing off his dance moves, which I'm down with in the dance floor. But, um, you know what I mean? Everyone wants their 15 seconds of fame. They jump off and, like, do their best to hurt somebody in the process. Not down with it. If you want to set up, like, a me versus Scott Vogel debate, I'll gladly uh, book that time whenever you need to. If you want to set that up. All right. I'll have to um, have my people talk to his people to see if we can yeah, yeah. try to schedule that. Probably just text him and argue about it right now, actually see what his stance on is. But it'd be the, it's just this generation's uh, sick of it all versus born against debate. Well, um, as I've gotten older, I'm uh, not really into stage diving anymore because the risk of injury is so high. It sucks. Yeah, I yeah just like to you know just stay on the floor, and um, there's no reason a 30 year old should be you know front flipping off the stage and landing on people. Yeah, and you know, let's. I mean, how oblivious do you have to be to be fucking three hundred pounds and like jumping on motherfuckers? You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, that shouldn't be happening. I want to be known as like on the front lines of. I, I know a lot of other people are already in on this one, and I see the tides turning, and uh, I think crowd killing is on the way out. Which, and this is a hard opinion to explain, but I I think it's great when it's like, a room full of friends. It's, it's like the most entertaining thing on the planet because it's like a, it's consensual, you know, it's like, that's one of the topics for these days, right? Consensual, uh, everything. So, you know, like consensual crowd killing is awesome. It's my favorite thing ever. It's the, the best videos to watch. It's the most fun to play to. Uh, it's great, but that is the situation like 5% of the times. And it's only that it's typically only in cities that were doing the shit 15, 20 years ago. You know what I mean? When it's three guys ruining the time for like of 500 people. No, we're not. We're not doing that. You know what I mean? But I would like. So I know there's a lot of people. I know the momentum's already turning on that shit. It barely even happens here at this point, And it's not happening at my venue. That's a fact. I pay way too much insurance to even deal with that shit. But um I do want to be known as the the forefront of the anti-stage dog movement. I want that to be Face Rex, one of Face Rex legacies. Well, I feel like the easiest way for that is to slap it on a T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, you're thinking actually a few steps ahead of me. Well, I would proudly wear that, just giving you my two cents. Yeah, I'm a hypocrite though, because if someone really wants a stage job to my band, I think it's sick. But you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely get that. Do what you want, but we all have our preferences, you know. Yeah, um, I'd rather see some uh, some well rehearsed uh, bedroom mirror practiced and refined moves. Wanted to ask you about um, the Gorilla Warfare music video. I I, I think it's cool. Um, you know, when bands or any artist, or whatever, um, does a music video because I feel like um, that medium isn't as popular as it used to be. Um, so what was the idea um, of actually doing a music video and um, was it like fun to put together? 
Yeah, I mean, everything the band does is fun for the most part, except for we got stuck on the top of a mountain in like a state of emergency blizzard a couple months ago. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, everything we do is fun. I mean, otherwise, I mean, we're not making money from it. And in fact, you know, as well as we may seem like we're doing, we're like eternally in debt because or eternally in debt because I don't allow other people to own my music. I don't allow other people to sell my merch. You know what I mean? Like we're I don't want to say DIY. Uh, and I think I might coin this term DIT do together hardcore because I'm not smart enough to print shirts or, you know, do graphic design or anything, but you know, we're very hands-on, uh, and that comes at a price, but at the same time, uh, we own, we are in control of everything we do. You know what I mean? Uh, even something as simple as one of those, like, I don't know, hardcore worldwide or slam worldwide or all those like, you know, YouTube channels with millions of subscribers or whatever it is. You know, obviously that's tempting to just like with a click of a finger, you're going to get 100,000 views just because it's on there. But, you know, the same way that, you know, we have had some label interest, surprisingly. And, you know, I, we certainly appreciate any and all offers thrown our way. It's the most flattering thing that someone is willing to invest in you. But at the same time, it's just like, you know, when we did this with Filled with Hate out of Europe, it's like, yes, you can press our record. I mean, we have the rights to it, though. But like yes, of course, I respect your label and the fact that you're willing to help my band. That's amazing to me. Um, so as long as you are fine with essentially, you know, it's I'm licensing it to you, even though I'm not charging you anything, you know, it's uh, it's just important to me to keep control of your own art. Um, not even necessarily for monetary purposes, but like, you know, if I decide in two years from now that like I want for some reason, I can't even think of what that would be right now, but like, I want this gone, it's gone, you know, it's like, I, you know, whatever, you know, there, there's a million reasons that I could continue to go on with for that. Um, actually, oh, I don't even know why I was going down that road, but point being, we're in debt, we don't make money, the band has to be fun, or else why do it? Um, making the video, of course, was fun, it was, you know, essentially all of our friends in the video, uh, very unplanned, uh, like I said, I always expect you know, my circle of several hundred or whatever it may be friends to pay attention to what I'm doing. And that's the extent of it. Uh, to be honest, had I known it was going to be viral, not only within hardcore, but there were at least like, there were six or seven like online, I don't even know what you'd call them, just like hipster online website zines, I don't know, uh, posting about it. I think collectively, I mean, things had like several hundred thousand views between everyone like you know, of course, everyone took it and made their own edits of it and cut them up and reposted them and whatever. Um, but yeah, I would have probably put more time into it, to be honest. Uh, as great as it is, I think it could have been much more grand. But that's cool because we are actually just finishing up recording our next EP uh, this week and next week. And then we are filming a video, which all I'll say about it is I envision it greatly surpassing Guerrilla Warfare. And will be made with the uh, the knowledge that this may be viewed by the world. So yeah, we're gonna we're we're pulling out all the stops on this next one. I'm definitely looking forward to that because when I watched the Gorilla War for music video, I appreciated that um, there was a lot of um, people moshing in the music video because I I just think it's um it's just awesome to watch that. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, I would say maybe tongue-in-cheek is the right word to use for that one. Um, 
which you know the irony in that was you know out of those all of those i think most people in hardcore knew how to take it but um because obviously uh we weren't trying to portray that we were tough or anything along those lines but some of these like hipster zines uh i, I literally i'm not being like sardonic here i don't know what they're called but you know what i'm talking about like the amateur versions of vice and everything like what are those called uh just like a news outlet i literally have no idea i literally don't know um not trying to be like you know old on purpose but point being these sites that pride themselves on being such cutting edge humor and oh they're just so much smarter and you know they they get things that no one else does half of those dumbasses were like you know making i mean some of them got it and thought it was like great and awesome and fun and everything that it is and the other half were like you know trying to make some type like oh i can't believe this is a real thing i can't believe this is you know oh and they say white people have no culture and you know trying to make like a fucking it's like okay you guys are the supposed self self proposed like you know forefront of humor and everything and you're you know and you're fucking went right over your dumbass head so you know, I think hardcore knew how to took it, but uh, you know, the the, the mainstream media uh, did not. So, but that's cool. I, I like getting, I guess, one over on people talking about hardcore that have no place talking about hardcore. Yeah, I I always find that when um, like people on the outside, uh, you know, get to see hardcore, um, they don't understand it, and. I definitely get it because um, obviously I'm involved. I'm you know into the music. I know the culture. So when somebody on the outside just doesn't get when they see like a room full of people moshing, they um, you know just like they view it as like you know something way different than what it actually is. So it's like funny to me seeing like you know people on the outside trying to describe it or just taking it totally the wrong way. Yeah, and I mean you know, uh, you know everything's perspective and subjective and art can be interpreted in many ways. But I mean, straight up, if you have anything bad to say about face wreck, you, you don't like fun and that's fine. You know, not everyone in hardcore is looking to have fun. And I get that. I wasn't for at least half of the time that I've been involved with it, but uh, eh, you're just an enemy of fun. If you can't hang with it. So um, you've been involved in hardcore for a really long time. Do or like, what's like your favorite um, like memory of being a part of it? I mean, I think everyone's partial to when they first get involved. You know, if you really want to keep going down the line, I mean, and this is something I have to remind myself of daily when I have kids telling me that like they got into hardcore through uh, System of a Down or. Uh, they cover disturbed that kind of thing you know um that is just this is the way it goes i mean i could go find someone a generation older than me who would scoff at the fact that i got into shit from you know i guess you could say pantera if you really want to just pick a, a quick example who you know in my mind is super fucking credible you know for so many reasons um but you know to them that was like poser metal and, you know, you can find someone a generation before them that, like, oh, those guys got into hardcore because they, you know, 
got like crossover records or even Metallica or Slayer or whatever it may be. And you'll have people, you know, who were around for Minor Threat that'd be like, oh yeah, that's not hardcore. That's fake metal shit. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's all perspective. It's all, it's everyone's partial to what they got into when they first got into things. Um, I'm obviously partial towards the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I was listening to this things for a few years before I actually could convince my mom to let me go to a show. I think I was, I guess, 13 or 14 at my first show. Um, which, by the way, was like Misfits and Guar and Speed Dealer and Murphy's Law. Uh, all four bands were just completely asinine, and my mom, the fact that she let me go to another show after that is crazy to me. But, uh, you know, with Guar doing what they did and you know, Murphy's Law doing what they do and the whole nine yards. It was really all spectrums of insanity in one show. But, um, so yeah, that's what I'm partial to. Uh, I, like I said earlier, I think what's going on right now is the coolest and certainly heaviest, which I equate with cool. Um, and I think at least probably 10 or 15 years, you know, when, I mean, if you were around, then you know how it was. I mean, that generation of metalcore all kind of got, I hate to say it's about some of my favorite bands, but you know they just they went they went a different route. You know when everyone you know there were there were obviously cheap cheap ways to get onto Ozfest and the whole nine yards. And I am not saying that as an enemy of success. I mean, there's nothing I want more than ultimately most of those bands were my friends, and a lot of them still are to this day. But especially at the time when I was booking them and everything, um, I wanted nothing more for them those dudes to be able to make a living off what they did. But like straight up, a lot of them put out really bad albums did a lot of really whack shit and uh yeah that faded out and then you saw obviously you know the terrors and trapped under ices and you know turnstile and have hearts that obviously had its day and still does obviously you see have hearts selling out all those shows in a minute and terror you just saw them play on the hatebreed tour last week probably 1400 people biggest venue in pittsburgh you know so um but i'm saying on the ground level though you see you know these younger heavy bands having their time in the sun right now and i'm very into that i feel like it's such um like a weird spot for um bands who obviously are killing it in hardcore and like they reach like a certain level of success you know in the bubble but then when they um break out or try to do something different it, it's like i feel like kind of like a double-edged sword because like I feel like you know, there's obviously like a good portion of their fan base that's gonna stick with them through it, but then a lot of people are gonna turn their backs because you know they're calling them sellouts or you know um, not, or not even calling them hardcore anymore. Like once they break past that bubble, and like it, I I think it's like hard for bands because obviously if, the, if that's the way they make their living, they have to try to continue to succeed. They, they can't just stay in the same place forever because, you know, things will just get stale. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't at all, like I said, I don't at all mean success. If it's just straight up musically, they just put out bad albums. And that's like, you can, that's not even just my opinion. I mean, just look at their careers or their album sales and, you know, but you know, they, they did go beyond that. Some bands, I mean, some bands did, you know, uh, they when the they were riding high on the wave, definitely forgot where they came from, and uh, it's always a bad idea to do. That's not even just within hardcore. I mean, there were so many bands when I was working in the concert industry where it's like, I worked in like a club that was 650 capacity for the most part, which is at that level, bands are typically either on their way up or on their way down. You know, like 
it's hard to when you're even if you're selling out rooms that size uh it's hard to make a living off of that so that's usually bands either would come through once or twice on their way up and then you know move you move on to the, the bigger venues where you actually are making enough to make it a career uh or they're playing at our venues when they're coming back down and i can't tell you how many bands that you know, round one, they'd come through, they're super cool and appreciative. Round two, when it's like, oh, they're selling it out, then, you know, they start expecting, some of which are deserved, certain things and certain considerations. Uh, and then, you know, time three, they come through and just like, like it's obvious that they will not, at least in their minds, they are never coming back here. And then they just treat everyone like shit, uh, you know, under this assumption that like, well, I'm moving on up, so fuck you, I'm not worried about maintaining this relationship. And, you know, lo and behold, four or five years later, yeah, here they come back on the way down, you know, making less than they were making on the way up. And, uh, you know, that's certainly, that's just an example, you know, how things can play out and did with a lot of these bands, you know. Uh, Some of these bands that you were seeing, you know, never headlining, obviously, but, you know, opening arena tours and that kind of thing for a minute, you know. Uh, They're playing the 100 cap rooms now, you know. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Wait, sorry, what? If they're even playing at all. Yeah. Sometimes I um I want to be selfish and just like hope that that band just stays where they are cuz they sound so good. It's and, and like in my mind and I'm like okay, like this time is like so fragile and like I know like which ways it could go and um like it, like obviously like I wouldn't ever say it publicly but like yeah, there's like certain bands where I just wish they would have just, you know, kept this one sound and just never left. Yeah, no, for sure. And of course, like, you know, seeing things on the, like, I guess, professional side where people are making a living off of it, um, you pick up on, like, well, bands have to do this. Bands have to evolve their sound and they have to, like, tell people to clap their hands over their heads and all the corny stuff that we as hardcore kids should inherently hate, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's so, it, so insincere and copy paste and whatever, you know? But. You do, you see, and you're aware. Like I'm not some like, you know, Evolution Records DIY or die, like you know that kind of thing. Like, I think it's sick that anyone can make a living off their music. But yeah, like you said, it'd be nice to freeze stuff in time. And to be honest, I know you don't want to name any names, and I hate to do this because this is the band that did it all for me. But actually, seeing Hatebreed last week, I think I finally, I've you know, stuck by that band for so long, and ultimately always still will, my heart and everything. But like man, I don't think I can be excited to see them anymore at this point. Um, you know, and that's, I still, I will always buy their albums. You know what I mean? I still think what they do is cool musically, but it is just such a different platform at this point that it doesn't feel the same to me and not in a good way, you know? And I, I hate to put a name to it because like I said, I'll support those dudes like, every way other than but at this point it's almost like i'm just setting myself up for disappointment you know what i mean and i i applaud that those dudes are making a career off of it and everything they've done for hardcore i mean dude that band laid the groundwork for any band that has like made a career out of music and heavy music that came out of hardcore you know what i mean like the infrastructure they created and i talk about a lot about this in the museum actually like hatebreed like no band was really touring to Boise, Idaho or wherever, you know, before that, at least on the level that they were, you know what I mean? So it's like, 
I will forever always respect that. I mean, half the riffs that I write are hate breed knockoff riffs. You know what I mean? It's like, it's no disrespect at all, but it's just, it's something that is so different at this point. Like you said about how you wish you could free stuff in time. You know what I mean? But that's what makes the old show special. You know what I mean? And it's like, I get it. I, dude, you know what I mean? These guys are, I believe, probably all in their 40s at this point. You know, it's like these guys don't, I guarantee you have any interest in like loading down a flight of steps into some basement, you know, for even if it is like maybe or nostalgic or whatever. It's like, dude, that is not in the cards. It's a job. You know what I mean? It's like, that's awesome. Everything about it, I support. But just as a fan, I got to throw the towel in. You know what I mean? Like, I can't keep getting my hopes up to like, to relive those experiences. So, and that's why it's important to not harp on the past. And I think it is important to invest in like new bands and make, I mean, there's nothing more. We all know this. There's nothing more annoying than dude who sits around and just talks about the glory days. You know what I mean? It's like, you got to create new memories. You got to, you got to invest in the future. I think it's fun to talk about the glory days every now and then, but as I've gotten older, I realize that those times in hardcore were fun and I should, you know, have appreciated them more um, in the moment. So lately, like that's what I'm doing now is like, I know in the future kids are going to be looking back at um, these shows I'm going to now. And these are their glory days. So it's just like when I listen to newer bands that I'm really into, like I'll show up early to see the opening band because I like them. And I know that that band's going to grow to be something cool. And I have like friends questioning like, Oh, like why do you want to get there early? Well, it's like, I want to support all the bands playing, but also I want to see this particular band that's opening because I know that they're going to be good. And I don't want to, you know, have to be one of those guys that wish they could have saw them, you know, when they were like in the early stages of their careers. And I just want to experience everything and enjoy it in the moment now, instead of like having to just like look back and talk about like, you know, the golden era of hardcore, which people like to argue about. Yeah. Which, like I said earlier, everyone's just going to say that when they first started going to shows, it was the best, you know, which is, I mean, it's natural. That's when people have the fondest memories and, to be honest, they probably didn't, they weren't in too deep with the scene politics and everything that ruins shit for everyone. You just went to the show and had a good time, you know? So, yeah, I mean, ask a hundred different people what the golden era of hardcore is. You're probably going to get, eh, you might get like 80 different answers. Some people might agree, but you know what I mean. Have you ever uh, gotten jaded with hardcore? Yeah, I got close, man. I actually, I kind of, at one point, made a decision in my head that I needed to remove myself from it and it obviously didn't work but i sincerely tried for a while uh i'm trying to think how to tell this without giving a bunch of shinfo but uh i'd say long story short i reached a point of disillusionment where like i said you do get so entrenched with knowing all the backdoor details and you know unfortunately being in a position where you are kind of somewhat in charge of things and like i guess there's like an expectancy of you to like you know either keep the peace or like make things happen or this or that and it's just like i reached a point where and also musically a lot of bands weren't doing stuff that i liked at the time so it's kind of like all these factors at once uh where i i tried to make myself distance myself from it you know and it didn't work 
you know, I never, uh, cause I mean, dude, I could sit here right now if I felt like it and list you off a hundred things that piss me off about hardcore right now, you know, but like I said, I've had that realization that there, what, what is the point of focusing on the negative shit? You know what I mean? You can look at historically and writing all of these, doing all the research I did and writing all the historical stuff I did for the museum. You just, it really solidifies the fact that it's kind of just on a repeating loop. You know what I mean? Like, Shit's great, and then shit gets too big, and then shit gets violent, and then people get sick of it, and everyone goes away, and then it builds back up. You know what I mean? It's just it's on a cycle. You got to just accept it. It's gonna keep replaying no matter what you do. At one point, you know, I just felt like, man, if I really try hard enough and I really like live and breathe this and like put every ounce of energy I have to combating all these things that are wrong with hardcore, I can stop it. And it's not happening, man, you know, especially now on a worldwide level. I mean, dude, you can't you can barely control what's happening in your own city, let alone the country or the world, you know. So, yeah, I, I got very disillusioned at one point. I never stopped going to shows or anything. But like I definitely in my, I guess, mind and heart was just like, nah, fuck it. This needs to just be like a hobby for me. I need to just like cut myself off, essentially. And it didn't work. I mean, here I am opening the first hardcore museum. So it didn't work. I gave it a run for, I gave it a good shake for a couple, maybe even a couple of years. I tried to, you know, get away. But as with all, uh, all good relationships, it comes back around, I guess. When I was, uh, like still like newer to hardcore, I made friends with uh, this band from the Inland Empire, and the singer of the band, he'd you know been involved and been around for a while. And I remember one night we we're just like hanging out at his house. It was like me and my buddy, and he was kind of um, like talking to us about hardcore. And he kind of pointed out to me, he was like, "Hey, like you seem like you're gonna be the type of guy to be around for a long time." I just want to, you know, give you a heads up. Like things aren't as cool as they seem. Like once, yeah. uh, like once you um, learn about um, the politics and um, what actually happens, and actually get to know the people in the bands, he's like, you're gonna have a whole different outlook on hardcore. So just be prepared. It's not as like you know cool and nice um, as, as you think it is. And I, I like kind of um you know thought it was cool that he gave me a heads up because being around for so long and actually you know experiencing uh, having to deal with like the politics and all the bs like you know behind the scenes that people don't really um have to deal with it uh you know definitely like opened my eyes and i was like shit like he was actually right and um which helped out um you know for me not to get like my feelings hurt um so bad that i would leave hardcore but i'm I'm just uh you know it's, it's just crazy to talk to somebody else who's been around as long as I have and, um, you know, have them still be around. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember the, the exact wording, but you know, the saying some along the lines that could be no, no great disappointment without great, whatever infatuation or love or whatever, you know, like I said, I don't know the quote exactly, but yeah, you can't really get your heart broken about something if you don't really care about it in the first place. So it certainly, if you, if you care about it, it certainly leaves you very vulnerable to uh being let down but like i said you grow up you learn how to take it and uh yeah enjoy the uh good parts of it try to make good for other people too you know yeah definitely uh, definitely agree with that um 
wanted to start to wrap things up i i just wanted to um bring up uh, you guys are playing uh brick by brick seven yeah that's uh i mean that's supposed to been going on for a minute now uh you know it's always been good this year is like crazy they made like you know everyone does the like announcement round one and round two i thought announcement round one was the whole fest and i was pretty stoked on that and then like you know a week or two later it was like oh wow like this is cool and uh i don't know i I can't talk about it yet but we're doing other cool stuff throughout the summer you know so uh like i said hopefully in the next uh couple weeks uh you know face rec has been very i don't want to say on the back burner but uh it's been low-key I've been noticing less tweets and uh, things of that nature, but wrote wrote in record well finishing recording a new EP as we speak. Uh, as soon as I figure out some more brilliant lyrics to write, um, we are doing announcing this tour. Going to be playing a lot more once these new songs are out because we're not trying to bore everyone with the shit we've been doing for a year now. And uh, you're going to be seeing a lot coming from us over the summer. Unfortunately, after that, I don't really know where the band goes because I now have to factor in uh, the store. Uh, you know, this tour was a real eye-opener. It's like I had a book before I knew I was even doing the damn store, and it was just like, well, uh, I don't have the money to pay someone to be there for an entire week uh, in case no one shows up and buys anything if I'm not there, you know? So um, I guess I'm just going to close. And, you know, like now every time we get asked to book or to play a show, I have to either, you know, like I think I'm going to have to start asking people be like, well, can you pay us enough to where I can, you know, because like obviously a Saturday is probably going to be the only day my store really makes money or anything, you know. Um, but I got to factor everything in now. So who knows? Face Rec may uh, become a bit more uh, I was going to say exclusive, but maybe elusive is better. Um, eh, unless someone wants to book us on a Sunday or a Monday. It's the day my store is closed, you know. So until it becomes more than a one-man operation, who knows, Face Rec might be uh, on ice for a minute. But we, we got a lot of cool stuff over the summer. Hopefully that uh, satisfies everyone's craving. You could tap into your business partner to cover the shop while you're gone. Yeah, she uh, she has an actual important job, so I don't know if she. <laughs> okay, that was just trying to run the store for me, but we'll see. Okay, uh, do, do you have a time frame? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it'll pop. Do you have a time frame for the um, EP or maybe like a single get released? Uh, we will be releasing a teaser on, I believe, May third, and then we are filming a video. In May, I have no idea how long that'll take to get back to us. I got big plans for it. It might take a little bit, but uh, I mean, we're going to have it out before our tour and before everything else that we're doing in the summer. So I don't know, hopefully June. I don't know. We, uh, we're just putting it out ourselves probably. So uh, I don't think we have any like, uh, you know, labels now have their release schedules and things of that nature. So it'll be out sometime. You'll hear it. Just curious, um, May 3rd, is there any special reason why you picked that day? Uh, just the deadline I set for myself. Because if my uh, if my band doesn't have deadlines, shit doesn't get done. I kind of left things in their hand while I was getting the store ready and checked back in a couple months later, and uh, nothing was where it needed to be. So I drew some lines in the sand and 
determined that certain things would be released on certain days. So, okay, I, I was just asking because that day is the um, same day that this is hardcore is making their first announcement. So I wasn't sure if that was intentional, maybe dropping a hint. Uh, no, it's actually news to me. I just picked it because it's a uh, it's a Friday coming up soon, and everyone likes to release everything on Fridays now. So. All right. Well, thought I would ask. Um, before we um, wrap things up, is there anything you want to plug or shout out? Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess I got to plug my own thing. I know we talked about it, but actually, uh, so preservinghardcore.com is kind of the uh, centralized spot for everything. Uh, like I said, I mean, obviously, there's an Instagram, a Twitter, and Facebook, like everyone else on the planet. Uh, although I, I try to, I mean, like I said, I'm a I hopefully didn't contribute to this myself, but I uh, I always try to avoid shinfo, which if you're not familiar is short for shitty info. So I try not to flood people uh, as popularized by every time I die. Always got to give them credit for the best word ever created. But uh, I try not to over flood people with you know shit they don't need to know. But I do a lot of stuff. It's my full time thing, so I'm always trying to post like separate unique things on all the different social media platforms kind of give incentive for people to actually follow us everywhere um keep you keep everyone on their toes you know uh but preservinghardcore.com it's got links to everywhere uh like i said i mean it's uh everything you need to know about the record store hours uh how to get in touch if you want to book a show i book the place is open to rent for other people i'm actually i'm trying to i guess train some younger kids on how to properly book a show so that it's not a nightmare and so that bands get properly taken care of when they're in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, and just teaching fundamentals as to like what is actually feasible and what can you actually facilitate? Like don't book seven out of town bands on a weekend weekday night, you know, the whole nine yards. Don't book bands that you can't pay appropriately. Uh, don't book bands that probably no one wants to see, you know, every, all that kind of shit. So, um, but I'm also booking, my own shows I want when hardcore bands want to play Pittsburgh I want them to be able to play Pittsburgh uh, so I'm booking a lot of my own shows at the venue uh, we already have a bunch of stuff coming up and announcing a show every day this week in fact uh, a lot of West Coast bands are actually we've just announced Fury and Distort today they're coming through in June that'll be cool and Hoods which the best West Coast band of all time in my opinion is coming in July so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, everything you need to know is on there, you know, links to the web store, links to the YouTube, everything, how to get in touch with me. So just check that. It's the first time in my life I ever actually paid for a dot com. I've always been using like the little weird free, you know, websites over the years. But, uh, like I said, we're trying to do this seriously and do it all legit now. So preserving hardcore.com. That's what I got to put over. That's awesome. I'll make sure to link everything in the show notes so they can be directed to the right place. Um, I just wanted to um, shout out Steve Huey for putting us in contact. Um, yeah, he's a yeah, joke the other day. He's like our, I guess, our manager because he's like, I mean, first off, he first person to book us in New York a few back in, I think, December. He just put us in touch with someone who I also have never met that is booking us in Brooklyn on a Sunday, which is crazy. Uh, coming up here soon. Like I said, we got a lot of shit coming up in the summer. 
So yeah, I guess he's just fucking nicest bald guy in hardcore other than me. <laughs> um, have you ever um, been mistaken for Steve Huey? Yeah, like every day. I mean, he doesn't help it by making me take a damn picture with him every time we're in the same room. That's awesome. All right, your unofficial manager, Steve Huey. Shout outs to him. Yeah, it really, you know, it, I like to, when people confuse us, point out the fact that they're actually baldists. Uh, I don't think we look that much alike. We're just bald and we mosh, you know? Yeah. So people need to uh, check themselves on that. Bumping all, right. all the people together. Well, there it is. Um, thank you, AJ, for coming on. I definitely appreciate it. Um, sorry about um, the mix-up. Um, definitely appreciate you still willing to come on. Definitely means a lot. Yeah, like I said, you're West Coast. You're hot tub hardcore. You're just relaxing all day. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Jamer K podcast. Always on top. I just wanna see the light